to you about accomplishing the mission of Jesus, the mission of the Master. And uh, as we again enter into Holy Week this morning and Palm Sunday, we know that Jesus was coming to a place of accomplishing his earthly mission on planet Earth. You see, the mission of the Master is really twofold. The first part was Jesus' earthly ministry. And as I told you just a few moments ago, the majority of the Gospels deal with the last week of the life of Christ, or what we call Holy Week. And so again, I want to encourage you to connect with that last week of the life of Christ this week. I want to encourage you to read through from the triumphant entry where Jesus came into Jerusalem and they threw palms down and they, and we'll read it at the close of this service. And they said, you know, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and, uh, those go- every gospel has a record and it's Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19 and John 12. Pick one or all of them. I would encourage you to read them all. And just slowly this week, every morning in your devotions, just connect with the last uh, week's ministry of the life of Christ. And as ultimately he came to the close of his earthly ministry uh, by uh, his death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, and then uh, how many of you know there's a few days between his resurrection, his ultimate ascension into heaven. So, so the mission of Jesus is twofold. The first phase, if you will, of his mission has already been accomplished. The death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his earthly ministry was phase one. But the ministry and the message and the mission of Jesus is not fulfilled. The second portion of that is called the age of the church. You see, when Jesus rose from the dead, he spent about 40 days with his disciples and his followers investing within them this mission and this message of taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the whole world. And he said these words in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, we call it the Great Commission. And so we are phase two. Look at your neighbor and say, we're phase two. We really are. The church is God's phase two plan for accomplishing the mission of Jesus. I want us to read this passage of Scripture together, and I'm going to do my best to read it slowly for you. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Let's read it together, everyone. Let's read, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What a mission, what a commission we have as the church. Jesus said, go into all the world. That's why I want you to connect with these missionaries because literally they are in all parts of the world. And this next, and this month, when I traveled to Africa with our dear uh, friends and people we support, the Shibleys, and, and, uh, and we train frontline pastors and church leaders, we'll be making a huge difference in their life. And so we've been doing that for years, and I want you to connect with the missionaries and connect with the vision of God and really connect with this part of our responsibility as a church family, and that is to go into all the world and make disciples. That's disciplined followers of Christ, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that he's commanded us. And lo, he's with us always. Somebody say amen. Even to the end of the age. So what a great commission we have. Now, there's a problem that I see in our world about the fulfillment of this passage of Scripture. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to fulfill the mission of Jesus. But over the course of time and now learning and looking around, you know, we've got a long way to go. Now, if I had time, I could give you some great statistics as to the progress of the early church over uh, these last years from the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2 to this day. The, The world is being reached for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in America, sometimes we, we tend to fall asleep to the rest of the world and to the, re- and to the mission of God in our life. And sometimes the church gets what I call inverted eyeballs. All they think about is themselves. All their prayer emphasis is for themselves. All their desires and dreams are for themselves. And we never see that in the mind of Jesus. It's always about someone else. In fact, if you remember the first line of the now uh, the most widely published and sold book in, in the world other than the Bible, the purpose-driven life, the first phrase of it, the first sentence is this, it's not about you. And so in the church in America, we need to deal with this, this uh, self, this, this sense of self and this sense of self-entitlement. You know, when you study the life of Christ, he talks about denying yourself. And following him. And so today, I, will, I pray that you would connect with this vision, but there's a problem. And let me just tell you something. Uh, you know, if it was a money problem, we would have already won the world to Christ because it's not a money problem. How many of you know there's a lot of money in the churches all over the world? It just the, the problem is, you know, when, uh, getting the money out of the Christian's hand into the world's hand, but we got enough money. It's not really a money problem, it's not really a people problem. There's people all over the world. It's not even a time problem. Oh, man, if we had more time, we, you know, we need to redeem the time. But we've, God's given us time. And you know what? It's not an ability problem. I'm telling, hey, Coca-Cola evangelized the world in my lifetime. Hello? Coca-Cola, I mean, I literally, I have been all over the world. I have walked into the hills of unknown places where people live in slatboard houses and mud huts, and there's Coca-Cola. It's amazing to me. And so that's not the problem. There is a way to evangelize the world. But when it comes to the church in America, I really believe the real problem is simply, probably, from my perspective, just a lack of motivation. That's really the problem. It's a lack of motivation. We don't seem to be motivated that way. And my prayer is this month that God would begin to motivate us. This morning I was driving in from out of town and I was praying for you. And I got fired up. I, I'll tell you why most of you were still sleeping or maybe still kind of trying to get old uh, Mac, Maxwell House down a little bit. I was praying for you this morning and I was praying that the momentum of the Spirit of God would just come upon you, that the motivation, the momentum of God would begin to embrace you and you'd begin to, something on the inside of you would begin to stir towards the things of God and towards the ministry and towards the mission that God has given us to reach our world for Christ. But it's a lack of motivation. You know, 
Jesus said this in John 14, 35, when the harvest was coming, and I don't have time to give you the total context of this, uh, but we find in this passage that most people, and Jesus used this, most people are motivated by their senses. Not just by what they maybe should know, but by our senses. Look what Jesus said. He said, do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are white already to harvest. He was appealing to their senses. He knew if they could see this harvest that was coming out on the horizon to hear about him, a, a man who had told a woman all the things she had ever done, the woman at the well, and they were coming out to hear this man who she said, he's told me all the things I've ever done. Come hear what he has to say. And the disciples were seeing them coming and Jesus pointed at the, at the horizon and he said, look, the fields are wide unto harvest. He was appealing to their spiritual and physical senses. How many of you understand our senses motivate us some? Have you ever walked into a bakery? Who? That's motivational. Can I get a witness? Amen. You know, my wife, I see her. And believe it or not, though I'm 56, I get motivated. Come on, could I get a witness? We're motivated by our senses. You know, advertisers understand that well, do they not? In fact, Red Lobster commercials, after their run, man, I'm just beat. Come on, Beverly, we're going to RL. Amen? But the church needs to be motivated in their spiritual senses. Jesus was appear, uh, uh, appealing to the spiritual and the emotional and the physical senses of his disciples when he said, look and see them. In fact, the Bible says in another passage of Scripture, when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Even Jesus was motivated by his senses. This morning, I want to simply show you and give you, to help you this morning, uh, I want to give you five motivators, missions motivators for us today to look at in our life. And, and as, if we'll embrace them today, I believe they will motivate us spiritually in our senses and we'll begin to move to a whole new level. You know, some, why did I give you the brochure today? Why did we put the pictures of the missionaries up on PowerPoint today? Because I wanted to appeal to your senses. I want you to get to know somebody and begin to see them and begin to connect with them. And when you do, you'll begin to connect with the vision of God that they have and the vision of God that we have. And, and bless God, you'll begin to be motivated. Amen. This morning, I want to give you five missions motivators for the church. The first one, we've already talked about it today when we took communion. And it is this, and it's what Christ wanted us to understand. The first one is the memory of Christ's crucifixion. That's why Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. He did not want us to forget the price he paid for us on Calvary's cross. He said, often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Paul the apostle in 1 Corinthians 15, when he was talking about the gospel, he said, this is the gospel. What is the gospel? He said this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture." 
That ought to move us today. How many of you thank God that you're on your way to heaven from Beaumont, Texas today? If nothing else motivates you today, getting a sense in your heart that there was a man named Jesus, the only begotten Son of God who willingly laid his life down on Calvary's cross and shed great drops of blood and he was wounded and he was was beaten and abused and battered and scarred. So you and I could be washed white as snow. And that same gospel is available to all the world. Red and yellow, black and white. They are all precious in his sight. Peter understood this when he said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, he said, guess what? We've been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. We've been washed white as snow, paid for by the blood of Jesus. That ought to motivate us to be moved to do something more than just sit on the sidelines and cheer them on and throw them a few bucks every once in a while. It ought to get us out into the mission field and understand something today. You may not be in Africa. We're not in Africa. and You may never go to Africa. But guess what? You've got a mission field right here where you live and breathe. And the memory of Christ's crucifixion ought to move us to a place of motivated to make missions our mission. You see, I have an only son by the name of Nathan. He's my only son. And if I were to give him up for you so that you could not only be saved, but then you could go about the business of sharing his love, Christ's love with others. And you forgot that I had given up my son for you? And you forgot? Not only would my heart be broken, but I would begin to be offended by that and understand something. God gave us his only son. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, the memory of Christ's crucifixion ought to motivate us to the mission field. It ought to move us in our spiritual senses to get off our blessed assurance and begin to realize that God wants us to make missions our mission. The second motivator that I believe ought to move us to the place of action in our life and become missionaries in the field that God has for us where he's planted us is not only the memory of Christ's crucifixion but the ministry of reconciliation. Now, that's a mouthful, but I want to show this to you. If you'll turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 with me, I want to show you what Paul the apostle said uh, about us and about the gospel of Jesus Christ that God has given us all a ministry. Now, most people look at the pastor and they say, "That's our, I want to introduce you to our minister. In fact, I've got one of my members in my church. She calls me the preacher. Well, I'm more than the preacher, but that's okay. I understand. We have this concept, well, he's the minister and, I, and he ministers to me. But hey, we, we're just catching a little bitty bit of the, the purpose of God for the church. You see, again, we are God's plan A, the church, not just the pastor, not just the minister, not just the preacher. We're all ministers. Look at what, I, what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 concerning us. It says in verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creature. He's a new creation. 
Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. How many of you appreciate that? In fact, it says if anyone is in Christ. Now, who here today could testify that they have been saved or now in Christ? Could say amen. Okay, so he's talking about you. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Now look at verse 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Now stop right there. We're about to get to the big punchline here in a moment. He has reconciled us to Christ. Now, how many of you know that word reconciliation? You, you've ever had someone who, you know, maybe a, a marriage gets in trouble and they get at odds with one another and, and they need to come together and be what? Reconciled. And that's what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. That we're been, we've been reconciled to God because we were all hopelessly, sinfully separated from God. And there needed to be someone to come and pay the way so we could be reconciled to him. You got it? Everybody say, you got it? If you don't got it, you can talk to me afterwards. But, hey, we've been reconciled to God. And that's what he said. He said, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, which we talked about, the memory of Christ's crucifixion, paid the price so we could be reconciled to God. But, hey, here comes the second part of fulfilling the mission of Jesus. Look what he said. He said, and has given to us. Not me. He didn't say me. He didn't point the finger and say you. He said has given to us. Somebody put your hand on on your chest and say that means me. And then if you want to point somebody, point point at your left or right and say that means you too. He has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Everybody set up straight and say I have a ministry. Amen. Everybody say I'm a minister. Ooh, you, you say, well, not me. Well, you are. You may be a bad one, but you still are one. You may be incognito. You may be uh, subversive and under, you know, flying under the radar. But, hey, God has everyone, if anyone is in Christ, he's talking about every born-again believer who embraces the Death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They now have a ministry. That ought to motivate you to realize that God has placed a responsibility of ministry on you. And oh, he ups the ante right here because he says this. He says, uh, uh, verse 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. You, You need to understand something. People do not get to God by being good. People cannot be reconciled to God by living a good life. People are not reconciled to God by giving away money to charitable organizations. People are only reconciled to God by by and through the ministry of Jesus Christ. It's for by grace we are saved through faith. Faith in the finished work of Christ. Not by works, lest any man should boast. I'm preaching the gospel here this morning on Palm Sunday. Well, shazam. Hey, and he said this. He said, he said, we are ambassadors for Christ. I like that word. We're ministers. We're ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. 
For he made him, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. That ought to motivate us today. The memory of Christ's crucifixion, what he paid for us on Calvary's cross, and what he did for us there on Calvary. But then the the fact that not only did he save us and heal us and deliver us, and now he abides within us, he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Again, there is no plan B. We are God's phase two to accomplishing the overall mission of Jesus to go into all the world and make disciples. The third thing that I think should motivate us is, and we've already read it, but let me just say it to you. It's not only the memory of Christ's crucifixion and the ministry of reconciliation, but number three, understand, it's the mandate of the Great Commission. You see, the Great Commission that I read to you a few moments ago in Matthew, 8, Matthew 28, 18 and 19, it's not the great suggestion. It is a command form. Go. Everyone say go. Look at your neighbor and say Go. It's time to go. It's the command form. It is a mandate. You know, a mandate is an authoritative command, a formal order from a superior authority. It is not something you can, you know, rock, paper, scissors on whether you want to accomplish. It is the mandate of God. It is the call of God for the church. It is the phase two of fulfilling the mission of Jesus. It is a mandate. We are under divine orders from the King of kings and the Lord of lords to to make missions our mission not only around the world through our prayers and our financial investment but in our world through our prayers and personal investment into the lives of others it is the mandate of the great commission in fact Jesus said this and when he when he began the great commission he said all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth Now go. He had authority. He had marching orders from above. All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Now go into all the world. You see, when you walk into your world under the mandate of the Great Commission, you are are ambassadors for Christ. You have a responsibility and a right and a privilege to step into the ministry and the mission of Jesus and fulfill his kingdom purpose. You think, hey, listen, this is not the devil's territory. This is God's territory. Amen. We're in the world, but not of the world. It's the memory of Christ's crucifixion that should motivate us. It's the reality of the ministry of reconciliation that God has placed in our heart that should motivate us. It's the mandate of the Great Commission that should appeal to our spiritual senses and our spiritual responsibility of obedience to God. And number four, let me say it to you this way. It's the multitudes, the multitudes in the valley of decision. You see, the world around us is in the valley of decision. In fact, the prophet Joel talked about these multitudes. In Joel chapter 3, he he mentioned them. He said, there are multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision 
Joel 3, verse 12, and it's a reference to the day of judgment. Listen today, the world that is without Christ, there are multitudes that are in the valley of decision. They have a decision to make. And am I going to serve him or am I not? Am I going to follow him or am I not? And understand something, that's what ought to move us, is the reality that many of our friends and neighbors and work associates and people that we know and millions of people we don't are are lost and on their way to a devil's hell. And they need the opportunity to make a decision for Christ. To be able to say in their hearts, I want to follow him. I want to serve him. The reality of lost humanity ought to move us and motivate us to the mission field. To make missions our mission and do our part in accomplishing the mission of Jesus. But finally today, If, it, if the memory of Christ doesn't motivate you in the ministry of reconciliation and the mandate of the Great Commission and the multitudes in the valley decision don't motivate you, let me talk to you for a moment about that final day, the moment of our visitation. The moment of our visitation. I want to take you to the ascension of Jesus Christ there in Acts chapter 1 for just a moment. After his earthly ministry was accomplished, and he ascends into heaven before their very eyes. And as would be the case with me, they were standing there gazing into heaven. Would you be right there? I'd be going, everybody try it. Come on, try it with me. Okay, I'm going to look out there. I'm going to make sure you all do it. Here we go. Everybody, because when I looked up, I didn't know if you were looking. Come on, Clint, help me. Here we go. Look amazed and gaze into heaven. Some of you are just rebellious. You're just not, you're just refusing to obey the pastor. And they're all standing there. And if I were Gomer Powell, I'd say, Shazam. And they're gazing into heaven. And then the angels appear and and they say this. Why are you gazing into heaven? This same Jesus who you see leaving this place right now, he's going to visit you again. He's coming back. And my friend, understand something about that day. The Bible says we will all stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says we'll all stand before him. Not to know whether we get into heaven or not, but it's like the reward ceremony of job well done or oops. But we will stand before him. He will visit us again he's coming back to planet earth and we will all stand before him and give an account of the life we lived on planet earth now turn with me if you will to Luke chapter 19 the triumphant entry
Let's begin in verse 37. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. And they were saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said to them, I tell you that if they should keep silent, the stones would immediately begin to cry out. And as he drew near, He saw the city of David.